0: Brandon Steiner, and this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. Paul on ladies and gentlemen. He purposely comes in without the jacket. Is there anybody who looks better than this guy? It's unbelievable. Every time I see him. You weren't like, expecting somebody else. There's a lot of people in here. I'm like, I'm like, i am like, I got to get to the gym. <laughs> I mean, I can show you the route. <laughs> are you like a... Well, first of all, welcome and thanks for coming. These are the VVIPs, the bread and butter here, nice. um, that make the stadium tick. Are you in the gym every day? I mean, are you, are you that kind of... Uh, uh, pretty much.
1: That's all I know. I, mean, I have kids that, that do the same thing, so it's... Uh, this. CrossFit mania, we do that together, and it's it's fun, but believe me, it's not like it used to be. Things hurt now, and get up in the morning, you know what you did yesterday, but yeah.
0: Are you having fun? I mean, is this, uh, I see you're about to get on a run here over at
1: uh, the Yes Network. Nobody does games better than you. Are you surprised that you've done this well? And I, You know, I didn't know what to expect. I, I got out of the game, John Filippelli, who was the, the head of Yes at the time, um actually said, I want you to come into the studio, we're going to try to, you know, teach you some things, and I think you could, you know, let's do 10, 20 appearances and see what happens, and so I walk in the first night, and uh, there's a pregame show, and he's like, you know what, let's let's just start today, and I walked out, no sport coat, no nothing, I had Bob or somebody's sport coat on, and I didn't know anything about TV, so like red lights are going off and I'm looking over here and, and they're yelling in my ear. The worst thing you do uh, on television and radio or even in the booth is while you're talking, somebody is talking in your ear because you have these earpieces in. And for people that know what they're doing, they have no problem. But for people like me that... I don't know, maybe I'm ADHD or something. But when somebody talks, I stop talking. So, like, if I'm saying, hey, you know, this guy's got a, a, a really good su- swing tonight, and it, and it, it, it's really hard for me. That's the hardest thing that, to get over.
0: I remember sitting on the floor at the uh, Doral Owlwood, you know, just retired. You were thinking about going into TV. You started dabbling with it. You'd done a couple of these, and you said, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know, what, what am I going to talk about? I said, what are you going to talk about? I, I Just just tell us anything. I mean, I, we anything that you... Which I think you, you realize how high a level of credibility you have.
1: Because uh, people always show you wore it, you played it out. There was never any hiding. No, uh, how and, you felt. And that's the thing that you, you, you think you have to do so much uh, when you don't know anything about it. People want to hear stories. People want to hear what happened at certain times. Um, that's why I you know, it's a big joke up there, I don't go up there with notes, I don't go up there with numbers, because, you know, anybody in this room can go up there and read every statistic, every number about your chances of this, and to me, I, I kind of play the game through my mind and kind of get a gut feeling of what's going to happen here or there, and and that's what you talk about, and, and uh, to me, it makes it more fun, um, but... Again, when you've never done it, and you go back to that day at the Doral, you don't know what to expect. And um, I had progressively, you know, up the games. up this year, I'm up to almost sixty games. so uh, uh, it'll uh, be a challenging year. The Yankees are playing well, though it makes it much more fun than the winner scoring. last year, the first half, there's nothing worse than trying to announce a game where the team loses and never scores a run, because there's nothing to talk about. It's like, one, two, three, all right, we'll see you next inning. And one, two, three, all right, we'll see you next (laughs) inning. And it is really, there's nothing to add to it. But, you know, when there's exciting plays and there's young players and there's a future, uh, it, it makes it exciting for everybody. And, you know, nowhere like New York do you go through a rebuilding process and you're expected to win also, which to this point they have. So that's been fun why baseball
0: how how did baseball come around for you i mean when i think about you know you had winning before you came here you know so you've had a long baseball career why baseball what got you started Uh,
1: i mean i grew up my father was in the minor leagues uh he went to the service uh lost basically his career to that he was our little league coach i had four older brothers who i pretty much idolized going to their games so that was you know, depending on what season it was, that was what we were doing. It was baseball, basketball, or football. And um, truth be known, in high school, I, I thought I was going to play basketball. And so you got some height. And I love the game of basketball. There's nothing more fun on a Friday night to, to play in a hot gym with the crowd and cheerleaders and everything. You know, it was <laughs> it added a lot. But uh, were in three? A, you were a three? Or you yeah, were? I was a three, and um, a very left-handed one at that. But I, but then you know, I, you start hearing pro scouts saying, "Hey, you know what? We're going to draft you, and you know, there's there's some money involved." And when you're 18, you think, "Where you know, where do I sign? Let's let's go, let's get this going." And I actually had um, was in the University of South Florida. I was staying with Robin Roberts, who was the, the great pitcher for the Phillies. Yeah, he was a Hall of Fame pitcher for the Phillies, and he was coaching down there, and he. He said, I threw in the bullpen. He said, kid, I'll give you a full ride scholarship. And that's all I wanted to do at that point was go to Florida. Because, you know, growing up in Ohio, you play, you know, 15 games a year. And it's kind of like the weather here. You know, it's 40 degrees and raining. And it's just, I wanted to go somewhere warm. And I can still remember that back then the draft would just go along the bottom of the television. It wasn't a live broadcast, anything. And I found out that I was drafted um, third pick by the Reds. And uh, Robin Roberts flat out told me, "Kid, if you want to play pro ball, go play pro ball." And I look back at that and think, you know, what a what a neat thing. Because he could have said, "Hey, you got to come to college, this and that." And years and years after that, I would see him almost every year with the Reds when I went to Philadelphia, and we we would joke about it. But uh, what a what a you know wonderful advice. It worked for me, but uh, I always you know respected him for that. The 98 team, we were just talking about that and special team. What, Best team. Best team I ever played for. But no
0: What doubt. made that team so special? What was going on that maybe we didn't know and didn't see?
1: Well, I mean, 96 it happened so quick we were kind of unknown. And then, um, you know, 97, also I was talking out in the hall, it was probably the most disappointing loss that uh, I ever remember because – you just win 96, you fight all year to get back. 97, you, you think you have it in the bag. Alomar hits a home run off of um, uh, Mariano. I remind him about it all the time. And, you know, I, I, I can still remember um, I was hitting the two outs in the ninth, and I hit an absolute rocket off Jose Mesa, and it went off the top of the wall which would have tied the game. And, and I always say, you know, it's, that's the trouble with being a line drive hitter because they don't always go out of the ballpark. And, and then Bernie ended up flying out. And just the disappointment of having to wait a, a whole year to get back to that spot just to fight. And I truly believe that that disappointment kind of instills a fear in you of not wanting to go through it again. And I think it had a lot to do with what happened in 98, 99, and 2000. So, uh, it, but back to that team.
0: Sometimes S- the losing
1: gives you a blueprint for winning. Absolutely. it, and and it, it, it motivates you because you don't want to go through it again. Uh, it's, it, it's an unbelievable. It's an awkward team you got there. I mean, you got a lot of characters. Oh, there's no doubt. But you go through that 98 team and seldom do you see a team that's put together with really good players. Really good players all have great years and you don't have injuries. And that's. If you wrote down the three things that made that team great, there's no doubt that was the closest I was on a team to perfection. It just everything worked. I think what it was one twenty-five and fifty when, when all the numbers were done. I mean, who surprised you on that team though? Who was the big surprise? Um, you know, I look back at, at some of those games. You know, Duque was new, kind of in. I loved playing behind him. Um, but surprising, I mean, Dale basada was coming on yeah but they i mean they had become players uh you know jeter was still surprising everyone because he became you know just the face of the yankees and it just like i said it it was it was almost comical i remember one time we had won six or seven in a row and we were in oakland and next thing you know we're down three runs ninth inning it's like all right, long trip back you know we had a great road trip and Next thing you know, Joe Torre tells Strawberry, hey, you're going to pinch hit. Grand slam. We went in the bottom of the ninth. I mean, at the top of the ninth. It's just like things like that just continually happened that year. And it just was uh, a magical year with great players. And I just look back at being very fortunate to be part of that team.
0: When you see this team, give me a little bit of a feeling. Like If you're in the clubhouse, what does this team need to know? What's important? look at a Judge or a Sanchez and some of these young kids. Castro, you've been a big fan of Castro. I have been. Give us a little insight to those players. Are we expecting too much,
1: or is this right on track to what – Well, I, I think if you assume that, you know, Judge is on pace to hit 104 home runs, yeah, you might be expecting a little bit too much. Um, Do you like Judge so oh, far? Absolutely. What are you seeing? I, I mean, everybody knows his power. I mean, look at his size. But, I mean, the catch he made the other day, I mean – He's, a, he's, a, he's an all-around player. He's a defensive player. He's a good player. He's going to become better. He's made huge strides from last year as far as not swinging the pitches out of the strike zone. And the thing that I like what is going on right now is if you take a team, you don't want everybody hot at one time because everybody goes cold at one time. So they get off to a good start. Headley's off to a great start. Now he's cooled off. Gardner was off to a horrible start. Now he's on fire. You know, Judge was on fire. Sanchez has not gone through his hot streak yet, and he will. He's too good a hitter not to. Gregorius gets back in the lineup. He's hot. And then you have your second baseman, Castro, who I think has come into his own to become the player that he really can be. And you have some people. Torres just got called up to AAA. Is he on his way up here? I don't know. But, again, it's it's another star waiting to happen once they get here. The pitching is—it's going to have to be kind of messed with. There's no doubt about it. There, you know, starting wise, you might see another starting pitching. Um, you know, if Chapman comes back healthy, everybody goes back to their spot. So the team is set up. A bird's another example of somebody that could come in and, if he's healthy and gets back to where he was in spring training, could really help this team offensively. So it's a fun team to watch because there's a big mix of young kids that bring a lot of energy and a lot of just like they're like puppies out there they just run around and they just have they you know they just they just do things where you know veteran players have a plan and you, you've gone through it before but you need that energy and i think that both sides of the spectrum are kind of pushing each other now
0: and they love to compete you know they're not giving up they don't give up level. there's no give up there you yeah, can't that, leave this game no matter what that's the score is see. one last thing before we get to the audience for Q and A is Give me one, give me one good story. Give me one side on Joe Torrey. I know you guys had a great relationship, great manager, obviously Hall of Famer. what, What kind of manager was he? But sometimes we forget to mention, you know, a lot of guidance behind those teams. What was he like? He
1: was, to me, the perfect, the perfect person to bring in here. He understood that players were people, that what happened in your life can affect how you play on the field. It wasn't just – there's a lot of managers out there, believe me, that when you hit a home run, they're your best friend. And when you strike out the next day, they don't even want to look you in the eye. And as a player, you feel that. Joe Torre knew, and I'll never forget, he came in one year and he said, I know what it's like to win a batting title, and I know what it's like to hit 240. And I did it back-to-back years, and I tried the same. So he understood the season of baseball, how long it is. And – just the effort doesn't always put it together, but he also knew what it t- took to win, and that was people that understood that winning was more important than what I did today or what you would do tomorrow. And um, we finally got on to that thing where I think everybody understood that everybody gets your just due when you win. And I tell you what, if you went in New York, People don't forget it. I mean, I, I'm down in Florida. I'm in Ohio. I'm in South Carolina, and it's just like people come up and tell me stories from '97, '98, and it's so cool to say. It gives you goosebumps because they remember it. Well, my wife thinks I'm crazy because I remember certain pictures from 1996, but I can't remember where I was supposed Not to make a line story. drive off the road yeah. with Yeah, yeah. yeah. same. I mean, it just <laughs> out. That's the way that uh, you know your mind works. I mean, in probably remember the count you hit that line drive off of too uh, yeah it was early in the count oh one mesa i had hit him well saying. too
0: <laughs> one last thing i just gotta ask you a quick jeter story i mean you know so many it's been written said but you know was, was he as fun as it was people you know we know he didn't love the media and stuff but you know as far as talking a lot to the media but
1: Was he a prankster, a fun guy? He he liked to kind of stir the pot a little bit. Yeah, he wasn't the guy that would, you know, do the stupid stuff, light your shoes on fire in the dugout or something, you know, that people do. It's just like that stuff's over. It's corny. But, you know, he would stir the pot. And those kind of jokes and that kind of camaraderie adds to chemistry and adds to the team. And, uh, you know, as much as he... I never saw anybody, and I used to tell him this, I mean, even as a rookie year, I would get up in the morning, I would have my pancakes, I would do this, do this, do this, I was out for batting practice at four, I mean, you had a schedule, and by the game, you were ready. Jeet would get up and have a photo showed at nine, meet somebody at ten, have a business meeting at twelve. Come to the ballpark, eat McDonald's, and then have batting practice. But I'm telling you what, at 7.05, he was ready to play. And I used to look over, and he would, he'd would talk to people on the on deck circle. He'd be talking to kids and people right before he went up to the plate. And, like I said, my mind was like racing on what I was going to do when I got to the plate, this and that. I didn't even know there were people behind me. You know, it's just like that's the type, the different personalities you see uh, in players. I right, would we'll do
0: some QA. We got the mics. Um, oh, okay. I want to thank you, Paul, for so many years of such great baseball joy that you brought Appreciate us. That. My, my question is. Dave, Game five, uh, 1996 World Series, two outs, two on, Lewis Polonia at the plate hits a line drive to a man with a broken hamstring.
1: How bad was your hamstring when you made that catch? And what did Bernie and you talk about when you came in from the outfield? Uh, you know what, it's funny because I... Joe Torrey called me in the office before that game and i wasn't moving very well and he says I, I don't know if i'm gonna play it and i think he was kind of testing and i sat down and i'm just like shaking my head and i'm just like and it's a world series and he's like we'll talk about it well he called me back five minutes later and he says you're in there and so thank goodness you know i talked my way into that one i was like yes so um i was i mean it's the heat of the moment it's the most probably the, the most well-pitched game that uh, I remember. I mean, Pettit was unbelievable. And um, Jose Cardinal, who is our defensive coach, he would always, like, wave towels because most of the time I was ax- out, out there working on my hitting, thinking about my next bat batters up in between pitches, right? And so he is, like, waving the towel. And I'm out there with my hand. I'm not seeing anything. And finally... I hear, um, I think it was Mariano Duncan or somebody at second base, screaming at me. And I, I look up, I'm looking in, and he's moving me to right center. Two more steps. Right before that ball was hit. He moved me two steps over because Poloni wasn't getting around on wetland. He wasn't striking out, but he was fouling everything off. And I had him playing straight up. That's what, what our scouting report was. So he moved me over a couple steps. And uh, obviously those steps meant a lot because I wasn't running too well. <laughs> and what I thought when I came in, I remember running in thinking, oh, my God, if I'd have missed that ball. And all that went through my head was Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner <laughs> Bill Buck- that's all that went through there. Funny enough, that's all that went through my head if I'd have missed that ball. Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner. <laughs> Next question over here.
0: Hi, Paul. Thanks again for having us all here tonight with you. Um, obviously, we all know you, you can crush a ball, but translating that into the game of golf, I'm a huge avid golfer. I'm a 14 handicap. I'm just wondering how your golf game is these days, if you're still crushing the ball 350.
1: I, I hit it hard. Uh, I just got back. I got to play in the web.com, uh, the thing down in South Carolina. and um, I, I play well, but it, it's everybody thinks that because you can hit a baseball, you can hit a golf ball. And the, the mechanics of baseball drive me nuts in golf because golf is this body swing where baseball was all hands. And so it's, it's a process, but I love the game. And uh, that's pretty much what most players. Jeet's obsessed now, too. We just got talking to him. So his handicap's going down. Mine's kind of even. Out. I'm it? a four. And. Um, but i've been a four for like two years it just it's it stopped it's uh, I'm, i've hit my ceiling i think but um like i said it's a lot of things in a golf swing i play with some hockey players and they're perfect because their slap shot is inside where in baseball you're kind of over the top and that's the last thing you want to do in golf so don't work on your baseball swing if you want to be a golfer next question thanks paul for taking the time
0: to be with us um what are your thoughts on our statisticians in baseball uh, i read an article the other day talking about somebody's hitting getting more loft to the ball because he's sitting a quarter of an inch lower than he did before and i saw that they put velo up on, on the scoreboard yesterday
1: come on yeah i mean we were joking we say I, I won't even I, I said something on the air the other night with Michael. He said something about exit velo. I'm like, what are you even talking about? It's just like, you know, is that even a thing? But you know what? A quarter of an inch on a bat, you know, can be a home run or. You don't. I mean, you, you, it's a reaction, and, and you're trying to square it up. And but when you see, like Judge last night, hit a three zero pitch, he just missed it. I mean, he just missed hitting that thing on the Grand Concourse down there. But you know, literally, it, it's a quarter of an inch where he just didn't quite square it up, where he just got under it. But you don't do anything to adjust to try to do that. It's all just a natural, just a reaction. You've done it so many times. You know, you pick up the spin of the baseball, you track it, and and, and you follow it. By the way, you
0: got Michael, but now with the percentages after every inning, whether the team's going to win, lose where's he getting all
1: that from well it's not from his own head we got a statistician right next to us believe me and he, he speaks to it and I look at him like yeah like you knew that right off the top of your head yeah a lot of notes Question over there?
0: Paul first of all thank you for being such a class act <clears throat> it was noticed Um. Uh, you played on the 96, 97, 98 teams that were really put together through players who came up in the system, trades, and a few, uh, I would say, lower-profile free agent signings. Conan and Key came late in their career. And then you played with teams that had the Giambis and the Clemenses and the uh, A-Rods, which was, a you know, at a certain point, the team was almost an all-star team and built by free agents. Was there any difference in the chemistry of those clubhouses?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think when I got traded over here, it was like the perfect time because we I came over, Jimmy Key, Spike Owen, and Boggs. We all came over. And the Yankees had not won. And back then there was no really interleague. So you didn't know much about the American League. I knew Don Manningly played for the Yankees. He was an icon. So he was the first guy that I sat down when I went into spring training and got to know. And it didn't take long to realize that, You know, I wasn't in Cincinnati anymore. I mean, I walked out, and Whitey Ford and Yogi Bear and Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio were on the field in spring training. I'm like, wow, there's tradition here. There's something different. And uh, But, you know, that team progressed. And in in 95, 94, actually, you know, we would have made the playoffs. 95, we made the playoffs, we lost. 96, it kept getting better and better and better as that core four came along. But there was kind of a, you know, a, a... a rebound to the point and um later when some of those other players came in uh I didn't play with Rod, I had just retired but the one thing I did notice was walking out for batting practice on the field I was doing games and looking over and all these players had their separate stretching coaches and their separate other people so there were like 10 different groups of people stretching it wasn't a team thing anymore you know with the Yankee team guy, it was, everything was separated. And it just, to me, that seemed very, very strange. So in that sense, yes, the game does change when you bring in these star-studded teams. And I think if you'll watch now, they're kind of back to where we were in 95 and 96. The guys walk out together. The pitchers watch the starting pitcher warm warm up where, you know, you have a game tonight. That's what you're here to do. It's not just... You know, everybody has their own personnel seeing how great they can be that night.
0: You think that, you think that players realize how special it is to be a Yankee? I mean, uh, and is, it,
1: and is it that much more special than anything there, else? There's, it doesn't compare. I mean, I was very fortunate to win a World Series in 1990 in Cincinnati before I came to New York. And I thought it was, you know, the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, we drove downtown Cincinnati in our convertibles and, in front of 10,000 people. And then we went in 1996. And literally, when I, I lived out in Westchester. So I would drive to the ballpark. We would play the game. I would drive back to Westchester. Didn't spend much time in the city. We went in 1996. And all of a sudden, you're going through these parades and the people, and you realize how many people the Yankees affect and how many people are involved in New York and it just like it kind of blew me away and then the traditions like no other there's there's nothing like it um New York travels well it doesn't matter where you are in the country doesn't matter what ballpark there's there's Yankee fans that's just the way it is and it became there's nothing better than getting off a bus at four o'clock in the morning in Kansas City and there's Yankee fans waiting there for stuff you don't get that when you're with Cincinnati Reds. You know, you, you get that because you're part of the New York Yankees. Uh, a lot of people say, hey, I loved you as a baseball player. My wife loved the Seinfeld that you did.
0: <laughs>
1: These things don't happen if you don't play for the New York Yankees. Um, you know, and it's just, it didn't take me long to figure out that it's uh, much different to be part of this uh, franchise. Time for a
0: couple more.
1: Thanks very much, Paul and Neil. As a kid
0: growing up in the 70s, the late 70s, I loved watching the Yankees. There was that long hiatus, and when you came back, you were the beginning of that new era, that last era that we had. You also were very passionate about the game, and, and I, have a, I have children who you try to teach win or lose, be a good sport, go out there, but when those kids come home with that knot in their stomach and they don't care unless they won what advice would you give them because you know you you do have the record for most broken helmets i
1: heard <laughs> you know i just think that people are, are wired different uh, i mean i i used to watch um bernie williams i mean he would strike out and go take a shower and walk out and because he was confident he was going to do it tomorrow where tino and i would be sitting in our lockers with our head down just thinking you know the whole world just Fell apart. So I think people are wired different. Uh, enthusiasm and intensity, I don't think that you can ever have enough of it because if it's not playing for the New York Yankees, you'll compete somewhere else. And I see my son, who's just out of college in the business world, going at it the same way he did in sports with just wanting to out compete and outdo people. So it's not. Whether you're doing it for the New York Yankees, it's anywhere in life. And I always tell my kids, watch the way the New Yorkers go about their life. There's intensity. There's everything. And you know what? Be proud of it because it's not everywhere. You know? You go to a baseball game in Cincinnati, nine out of the ten people that leave the ballpark don't even know if the Reds won. It's a social event. It was a great time. I have literally sat in traffic at midnight on the hutch when somebody you know tried to get under a bridge that wasn't supposed to and been out in the middle of the street waiting in traffic jam talking about the yankee game that night with people on their way home so there is a difference and i loved it uh, about new york that people cared every single night whether you win or lose
0: so you don't think you cared more than everyone
1: else you just showed it differently i I, like i said I, i just i didn't take losing very well and i didn't take not doing well very well and it, again it goes back to the I, I mean i was always competing against my brothers they were older better so you're always losing so you're always trying to fight your way up but i just think people are, 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 are built that way it's just the way it is i mean you were kind of on every pitch there were too many cameras you shouldn't have seen all that stuff you know <laughs> and then we'll be talking about it. i don't know if we've ever seen somebody more you know on you know focused
0: in on every Possible situation that could happen. I mean, do you? But do you regret that, or is that
1: that healthy for you? you no, feel like I mean, that. there are times now that you're far enough away from it that you see these, and yes, likes to throw them up there once in a while, and I, and you look at yourself like, what is wrong with you? It's just like, <laughs> but you know, at the time, that's your life. That is your life. Every pitch, every at bat, every game, that is your life. That's what you're putting it into. But there were times. That you know I would snap and break something, and I would you know the night ended up okay, we won or I got a hit, and then I would come home, and my wife would meet me at the door. <laughs> do you know your kids who are watching again, what is wrong with you, <laughs> but you have no explanation for it because it's not a thought process, you just do it, you just react, you know
0: Thank you so much for this opportunity. This was really fabulous. I have a two-part question one is how did you feel when you were traded to the Yankees how did your family feel and do you send Christmas cards to Roberto Kelly every year <laughs>
1: well he had nothing to do with it I mean Jim Bowden was the general manager in Cincinnati I, I still remember we were uh, my wife and I uh, were cutting the grass in Cincinnati Ohio um, you were literally cutting the grass I was gonna say we do that in Cincinnati we cut the grass yeah and uh, it was on my uh, answering service that I had been traded um, and it's us talk about stunned, because basically I grew up in Ohio. I was playing almost for the hometown team. And the first thing that comes to your mind when you're traded is, you know, at, hey, I suck. They want to get rid of me, you know. It's just kind of the way you feel. My wife was in tears and this and that. Gene Michael ended up calling, saying, you know, they had big plans and this and that. You don't know what to expect, because all I knew from playing in New York was from the Reds, staying at the Grand Hyatt, jumping on the bus, going to Shea Stadium, going back, and being overwhelmed with the city. Um, but as a home player and living out and coming into the stadium, uh, like I said, I, it is the best thing that ever happened to me. There's no doubt about it. Ladies and gentlemen, this will be our final question. Paul does have to go to work tonight. we got a pregame. <laughs> Michael's going to do it by himself, yeah. although, Michael, although Michael
0: would prefer probably to do it by himself. This will be the last question. Such pressure. Um, I just want to say the intensity and the passion you played with was so fabulous to watch all those years. And we were there your last game, and we didn't want to let you go. That was just the most unbelievable moment. But I do have a question. And, And maybe this will be fun. We were also at the Jeter ceremony last week, and Jeter said he wouldn't trade places with anybody. So I don't want to ask you that. But I just want to ask you, you played with so many amazing people and you were so amazing. Is there any Yankee on the current team or any other Yankee, living or dead, that you wish you'd have the opportunity to play with and hang out in the clubhouse with?
1: Well, I, I mean, when you hear all the stories of, you know, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, uh, YD Ford, I mean, I, you were just in awe. Uh, there were times where I sat in that couch in the locker room and talked to Yogi Berra and it was just, the life that he lived it was it was unbelievable they were just tougher than we were you know that old generation Um, but you know Babe Ruth that name is just you know he's here and you know he pretty much made popularity of sports and baseball so if there was one person that you know you look at it and think man i wish i could have played with him it would probably be Babe Ruth because of the stories and i'm sure the stories just like everything else get bigger and better every single year you know (laughs) But thank thank you. you. Thanks, everybody.